At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we long to know your love more deeply. We long to have our senses of what love is and isn't shaped by who you are. So would you give us grace this morning as we hear your word, as we, as we study it, as we listen, Father, would you give us grace that we would receive from you that love, that we would know it and comprehend it, and even though we cannot fathom the height and breadth and width and depth of your love for us in Christ, Lord, give us a greater capacity for you today. I pray and ask, Lord, that you would speak through your spirit now, that you would help us in this. You would help me as I preach, Lord. I I don't possess a vocabulary deep enough to to speak of your glory here, so help us, Lord. Help me. I ask for your grace upon us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I struggled to ask this question this morning because I know for probably a handful of you, and I'm not trying to date anybody in the room, but as soon as I ask the question, you're going to hear a song in your head, and I'm afraid that that song is going to stick in your head throughout the rest of the day. And so I'm a little nervous about that, but I will take the risk nonetheless. I will go for it. Here's the question. What is love? And now I know uh, by those who are laughing, some of you are hearing, baby, don't hurt me. Get it out there, okay? (laughs) It's been in my head all day. Uh, The question is more to the point of like, how do we define love? What, is it, what does it really look like? What is, what is this notion or this essence or this ideal of, of love itself? When we say, I love you, or when we say, I, I, I'm thankful that there is love, what are we talking about? What is this concept of, of love? There's a myriad of definitions out there. I mean, we could, we could do a man-on-the-street kind of interview sort of thing, and we would, if we interviewed 100 people, we'd probably get 100 different sorts of definitions or designs on love. Some of them would be similar, others not. But, but here's just a few that I grabbed from Webster, uh, Webster's Dictionary. Love is a strong, and this is in the noun form. Webster even acknowledges there's a verb uh, of love. But in the noun form, love is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. So a strong affection, something happening inside for somebody else that's related 
to them in some way. Or second definition from Webster, love is an attraction based on a sexual desire. So it's, it's impulsive or passionate, uh, you might even say. Third, lo- love is a warm attachment or enthusiasm or devotion. Uh, that's why some could say they love the Detroit Lions and others would go, wow, what's wrong with you? Like, I don't get that. Uh, so love, there's some definitions there from Webster. One uh, psychological journal that I went and, and looked at just to figure out, okay, how do psychologists define love? What's happening there when we think about philosophy and psychology? What does that look like? And, and it defined love in this way. It says, love is a set of emotions and behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. It involves care, closeness, protectiveness, attraction, affection, and trust. Love can vary in intensity and can change over time. It is associated with a range of positive emotions, including happiness, excitement, life satisfaction, and euphoria, but it can also relate and result in negative emotions, such as jealousy or stress. Now, as I think through these definitions, and I looked at a few other uh, encyclopedias and dictionaries and resources online just to find love... The more I got into it, the more confused I was about what love truly is. I read these two, and I'm like, okay, something's happening inside, and in some ways it's warm and and passionate. In other ways, it's like stressful and anxious driving. And and like, what? Okay, what is this thing that we talk about when we talk about love? What are we trying to nail down? Often we try and define love in terms of ideology, uh, through the lens of philosophy or or psychology, and and we... seek to peer into the, into the realm of the unknown when we're trying to, to define and nail down love. It's trying, as I've said a couple times now, it's trying, at least in some way, to nail jello to a wall, right? It's just not going to stick. It's not there. And so I think many of us just kind of backtrack a little bit, and we say, well, love is really hard to figure out. It's really hard to define, but I'll know it when I see it. And so we just make it some sort of practical, like, yeah, that's that's it. There's love. And I saw it, and that's the best I can do to describe it. And so we, we try and go after it that way. Well, this morning for just a little bit, what if we stopped trying to define love in terms of like an abstract sort of ideology? What if we tried, uh, in, instead of maybe going at it from a philosophical vantage point or, or studying the history of Greek um, philosophy or something like that, what if we went and we took our cues from maybe a different source, maybe a different light? You see, I think that defining love is actually a lot easier than we think it is. The problem is, because love's definition is so clear, we don't want to embrace it. The way that love truly is defined, the way that love is truly revealed and seen is so clear to us, it could be so clear, that when we see it, we are tempted to back away and say, I don't really like that. I I don't want it. The clarity of love is in the light. And when we as sinners see love in the light, we don't want to affirm it as love because it breaks down some of our own inadequate and insufficient views of what love really is. When love is defined in the light, it tells us that the love that we really avow isn't really love at all. It's selfishness. If we look at love as the Bible defines love, even as John here describes for us love, we'll see that John doesn't give us an ideology of love. John gives us, the Word of God gives us a theology of love. Love is defined in this way. 
God is love. That's what the Holy Spirit says in verse 8. God is love. And so if we're going to move love from just an ideology, just an abstraction to a theology, a, a reality, it has to be defined in a person. That is to say that love is a person, or love is persons, if I could put it that way. Love is the trinity, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Or as St. Augustine put it in thinking about how to describe the Trinity, he said, look at the aspects of love. Love has to have three elements. You must have a lover, you must have someone who is beloved, and you must have love between itself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, love is defined in this way. God is love. And if that's true, which I believe it is, which the Holy Spirit reveals for us there, it's important. And it's important because of what John tells us we should do with love. He, he says there in verse 7, it's the command in this passage, beloved, let us love one another. In the Greek, it's two words, beloved, love. There it is, love. And if that's the command that we have from this passage, if that's, if that's what we've been talking about in this series, that we are to be people of love, particularly to the household of God, to the church, to one another, well, what does that look like? How do I do that if, if love is some sort of abstract notion or some sort of vague sort of thing out in the cosmos? If I, if I don't know that, if I don't know the reality of love, how in the world can I love you? How can we love one another? So we have to draw from the right source of love altogether. I think of it this way. Say you wanted to have a drink of pure, refreshing water. Perhaps you had in mind like you wanted to get a drink from the pure water that flowed of the Colorado River. But then you went to the Arkansas River headwaters. And you took your cup down and you sought to get a drink from that, thinking you were going to get a drink from the Colorado River you're just going to the wrong source. If we're to be people of love, if we're going to live as Scripture calls us, let us love one another, then we must draw from the right spring of love Himself. We must go to God. God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To love one another, we must see love properly. So here's the thing this morning. This sermon may feel a little unusual mainly because I don't have a lot of practical things to tell you. In fact, the command, love one another, that's, that's there. It's twice in the passage. I'll say it again. I'll emphasize it. But I'm not going to give us a list or some how-tos or some pragmatic things that you must go do, not some action steps to take out of here. Because God is love, I just want to take us to Him. We have to rebuild in our hearts and our minds a sense of what love really is just by seeing Him for who He is. God is love. And so we're going to spend some time this morning in this passage looking at love itself as God is. God is love. That means we need to see Him, get a, get a bigger view of Him, get a deeper passion for Him, to understand Him, who He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all the better. It starts for us this morning in seeing this, that love begins with the Father. Maybe the better question is, where did love come from? Was love some sort of uh, invention that just kind of showed up? Was love uh, 
around ever since the beginning is love eternal and so it just it just shows up and there's God and there's there's Satan and then there's love too and God incorporates love onto his side and like where did love come from well love begins with the father Look with me at verse 7 and 8. See what John says here. Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, there's a command for us. There's there's the to-do that we have in front of us. Let us love one another. But why? What's the motivation for that? What's the the ground that we stand on to love one another? If, If love is to flow from us, where's the source of that? Well, he says this, for love is from God. Namely, to say that the source of love, the source of all love, is is God Himself. Love is from God. It emanates from Him. Love isn't some third-party entity. It's not some cosmic virtue that came into existence and was incorporated into the ideals of good and civil society. Love is from God. He's the one who who gives us love. He's the one who shows us love. He's the one who pours out love. If we're to go right up to the source of of love's location, we have to go to God Himself. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Or to say it this way, that love is a defining characteristic of God. When we try and define love, we have to do it in light of who God is. There's a handful of passages in the Scriptures that speak about God in this way. It says, God is. We could go to John, 1 John 1, 5, right at the very beginning of this book, and we would see John describe God in this way. He'd say, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness, no darkness at all. Is to say that God is the source of all truth, the source of radiant glory, that God Himself is, is light. Or we could go to John chapter 4, verse 24, where Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who must worship Him would worship Him in spirit and truth. To say God is spirit is to say that God doesn't possess a physical form, He doesn't have a body, He's incorporeal. This is, again, the essence of God's nature, it's who He is. Or one other place in the Scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the writer of Hebrews there says that God is a consuming fire. Again, speaking about God's nature, who He, who he is, his, his essence, His character. To say that God is a consuming fire says that God is one who is holy and righteous and pure and just in every way. So we see when John here says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love, love comes from God, he is saying that this is exactly, this is the essence of who God is in, is in His nature. That God is the source definition, the source understanding, that love emanates or comes from God in who He is. Otherwise, to say love cannot be properly called love if it is understood apart from who God is. Love is an attribute of God, but it's the essence of God as well. And so everything that God does, everything about who He is, comes in and is engaged with and built upon love because that's who God is. God is love. What that means is I can't say something is love if it's not in continuity with who God is and how He has revealed Himself in the Scripture. I can't say this or that action is love if it's not true of God Himself. We can't say something is love if God isn't about it. So that's why we can't say evil is love. That's why we can't say that doing whatever we'd like, whenever we'd like, is love. 
We have to understand who God is and every attribute, every reality of who He is flows out of and is connected to the reality of His love. God is love. What does that mean about us? If we see love as a defining characteristic of God, it follows that His children, that you and I, should carry out that characteristic in their own lives as well. It's, it's the DNA of the children of God. So, John can say, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. So, so God is the source of love. The Father is the one who pours out His love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, here again, John is speaking of the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ, the mark that, that reveals whether we're in Him or not. What is it? Love. If we love, we demonstrate we've been born of God. We know God. And then he turns it in verse 8 and he says, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Now, John here is not being a universalist and saying, well, everybody who loves obviously is born again. Obviously, they know God because love abounds in the world. There is common grace. There is way in which, ways in which people who are far from God, who don't know Christ, who haven't come to Him, they can display kindness and, and love and acts of love in the world. But John here is reflecting in on the church. He's saying to us, if you don't see love in your life, well, the question is raised. Do you really know God? Do you, do you, have you really been born again by Him? Because if there isn't love, God's not there. He's not there. Anyone who does not know, love does not know God because God is love. So God's children, His people, bear the mark of His love in the world. We demonstrate that we know Him, that we are in relationship with Him by the love that we share with one another, by the love that we display. Fundamental to the nature of God is love. So John is making the argument here, if you lack love towards someone else, if you lack love towards one another in your life, you're really calling into question if you've been born again and if you know God. If there's a lack of love for other believers, it, it should at least challenge your mind and heart to say, do I, do I truly know Him? Because God is love. If there's not love in my life for others, do I have His DNA? Am I merit, bearing His mark well? Well, let me say it positively. If you know God, if you have been born again by His Holy Spirit, Love will abound because God is love. Love will, will grow and increase and overflow in your life. You will love because God is love. Now, I know at this moment we, we read the text and we, okay, God is love, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, but I, I'm, still, I'm still struggling here, okay? And I see, I see abstract things, God and love, but, but what does this really look like? How is love really defined? If God is love and we want to know what love looks like, how do we know if we're really seeing love? How, how do we know if we're really displaying love? Well, here's where John takes the camera and he brings it into a little bit more focus. He takes us to the second person of the Trinity. It's true, God is love. And so we see God, the Father, is the beginning of love. And then we see Christ, the Son, in our theology of love. Love is personified in Jesus. Love is personified in Jesus. 
So John focuses the camera a little bit more for us, and he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Well, how do we know what God's love looks like? Where do we get experience on that? Where do we get reality on that? In this, the love of God was manifested among us. The word manifested there could be translated revealed or, or, or explained or opened up to us. The idea here is that it takes something that was hidden or unknown and made visible to our eyes. Here is how love is displayed. Here is here's love made known to us and, and revealed. It's unpacked. God is love, and here's where love becomes visible for us. Here's where we see it. It's not some sort of ideal, not some sort of abstraction, but a real, concrete, identifiable, personal love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world. Let me just speak into that verse for just a moment here. Here's the display of the essence of God's love. Here's how we see God's love revealed. He sent His Son for us. God the Father in His glory and wisdom and greatness, He sent love to us. And the display of that love was in sending His Son, who He existed with in perfect harmony and love, perfect community and joy, perfect bliss and happiness for all eternity before. He, he sent His Son for us. He sent the, His Son into the world. Now, John uses the phrase here, he sent his only son. It speaks of the uniqueness of the Son of God here. The one who is high and lifted up, his one and only son, God the Father sending God the Son for us. And the Son has come so that we might have life, that we might live through him. Now, John has written words like these before. If you go to the Gospel of John and you pick up John 3, 16, for God so loved the world... There's the display. God so loved the world. Here's his display of love to us, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There the love of God is displayed and revealed. We see it in Christ, the one who has come for us. Where John says in John chapter 1, the word of God, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we have all perceived his glory. Christ becoming a human being, living a perfect sinless life. He is the one sent for us from the Father to show us, here's, here's what love looks like, here's where you see it, and He came to give us life. And we might say, well, what does this mean? What does this look like that, that the Son came into the world so that we might live through Him? I think of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. And so there's been a death to Himself that he's experienced. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul there is just capturing the sense of what John here has as well. God loves me. He gave himself for me. And that's how I live. So now, even though I consider myself dead, I've been crucified with Christ and I'm no longer alive, now Christ lives within me through faith. It's a display of God's love. It's how we live. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest. So if we're kind of scratching our heads and going, okay, what does this love look like? What's the ideal on it? Where do we see it? We look to the Son. Here's the concrete, physical, flesh and blood display of love in the universe. The display, the perfect display of God who is love in the universe. Our lives are to be lives of love because the Son has been sent by the Father to bring love to us. We would say, okay, well, well, maybe then I need to reach up to God. If, if that's where it is, maybe I need to exert myself and stand up and say, here I am, God, I love you now. And John says, no, 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 in this is love. So let's, again, redefine our sense of what love is. In this is love. Not that you have loved God, not that we have loved God, Understand that love isn't us taking the step forward first. It's not drawing closer to God and he goes, oh, finally, thank you. I see that love. Yes, I will reciprocate it and respond back. This is not love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You might be here this morning and you might not feel lovable. You may have been wrestling with sin or hardship, just a, just a broken heart this week. Maybe you just look at your life and go, I, I've, I've got nothing. I'm nobody. Like, how would in the world would anyone care about me? How would God care about me? And, and maybe you feel that way, and, and yet you're here and you're thinking, if I could just get God's attention just a little bit, if I could just show him just a little bit how much I love him, maybe I'll experience the cascade of his love on me. Friend, let me, let me turn it around for you. In this is love. Not that you loved God. Not that you showed up and tried to clean up yourself a little bit or reached up your, your weak and failing hand to Him. That's not where love starts. In this is love that God has loved you. He initiates the love. He starts love. He sends His love for you first and foremost. And it's not because you cleaned yourself up. It's not because you're lovable, as it were, in your sin. It's not because you're worthy and God goes, hey, there's an all-star that I've got to have on my team or someone who's so morally beautiful and perfect that, that I've just got to embrace them with all that I am. No, that's, that's not where love starts. God loves us while we were still sinners. Paul says in Romans 5, 8. Here is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were in full rebellion against Him, while we were haters against Him, while we were mess and in the pit in our despair. He loved us, and He showed us that love by sending His Son for us to be the propitiation for our sins. And you might just go, that's a really big word there. I don't, what does propitiation mean? Propitiation could be simply defined as atoning sacrifice. The word here has, has a, a word picture in mind of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where the people of Israel, they would take two lambs for their sin offerings. And one lamb, they would lay their hands on and they would, they would say, this lamb is the one who bears my guilt this one is the, the sin bearer. It's a scapegoat. And they would lay their hands on it, and then they would send that lamb out into the wilderness. It would run away and run off. It was the picture of them placing their sins on that animal and that animal being removed from them, and so their sins being removed and taken away from them. 
what the atoning sacrifice does. But in the picture as well, the atoning sacrifice was also the lamb that was slaughtered. They would lay their hands on another lamb, and that lamb would go up on the altar. They would set it up there, and they would, they would kill it. And that lamb would be sacrificed before the Lord for their sins. And they would say, here, this lamb, my sins here on this lamb are being consumed by the fire of God's justice and anger to, to propitiate or to appease His anger. And so it is here is Christ, our atoning sacrifice, the one who we lay our hearts on by faith and say, take our sin. And He does. And He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. But He is also the sacrificial atonement for us who goes up on the altar as we lay our hearts of sin on Him. And we say, take our sin. And He suffers and dies to satisfy the just, righteous, holy anger of God so that we don't have to experience it, so that we don't have to know it. The Lamb takes away our sin. Now, now catch what John is saying here. In this is love, not that we have loved God, not that we initiated it, not that we started it, but that He has loved us. So love comes from God first. He takes the first steps. He identifies it for us, and He sends His Son. He gifts His Son. He sends His Son to be the one who is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He removes our sins. He dies in our place to satisfy the wrath of God for our sins so that we don't have to take God's holy wrath ourselves. As one lexicon puts it, Jesus was sent to be the means by which sins are forgiven. Here's love, friends, this morning. Here, here's where it's displayed and defined and depicted perfectly for us to see Christ for you. Christ has died for you. He's come and he stood in our place as our substitute and died on our behalf. The cross is where we see the love of God fully displayed. Love is, the, love is God the Father sending the Son to die for us, to show us mercy, to satisfy his justice and remove the stain of sin. So you want to understand love? You want to see how it's truly defined and how we understand how to love one another? You can't, look, you can't look to each other for that. We can't look to Webster's Dictionary or some uh, journal that describes it scientifically. We must look to Christ. See, here's where love is defined and displayed. Look at the sacrificial love of God revealed in the work and person of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 15. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is true love. Here's where it's defined. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. So here's the capacity of love. Greater love has no one than this. That, some, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And perhaps you need to hear this this morning. That God loves you. And he has displayed that love for you in sending and giving His Son for you. The Father sent the Son, and the Son has come willingly of His own ambitions and volition. He has come willingly to die for you. The Son didn't come kicking and screaming, saying, no, Father, this is a bad idea. I don't want to do it. He came and He said, yes, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, I will die in their place for their sins. The Father is full of love. The Son is full of love. He has displayed it perfectly. Jesus is the personification of love because God is love. So to define love, you must see it through Jesus. Well, that raises a question. What does that mean for us then? What does that mean? What does that look like for us? 
And this takes us to the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. God the Father is love, Jesus the Son is love, and the Holy Spirit himself is love. He is the one, the Spirit is the one who takes the love of the Father who has sent the Son and he perfects it in our hearts. Love is perfected through the Spirit. The Spirit applies God's love sent from the Father, enacted through the Son to our hearts. Notice what he says in verse 11. Beloved. John has used this term twice here in this passage, verse 7 and verse 11. It's not just a throwaway phrase here. John's just not just being nice. There's an identity wrapped up in this. He wants you and I to hear that we are beloved of God because all of what God has done for us in Christ, as we receive that, it makes us His beloved children. So John isn't just speaking, you know, as if he's writing a love note to just some friends. He's speaking from God to us. Beloved, you who are loved by God, you've been rescued from your sins by God's grace. Beloved, you loved by God, and then he, and he asks kind of a, a rhetorical question. It's not a dumb question, but it's one we need to ponder. If God so loved us, let me stop right there. Has God loved us? The answer should be obvious. It should be a resounding yes. God has loved us. And if, again, you, you struggle with that, if your heart is having a hard time connecting with that, hear what God has done for you in Christ. You and I, we deserve hell. We deserve the full fury of God's just condemnation against our sin because we have rebelled against Him. We have chosen our own way. We have raised the fist at God and said, no, thank you very much. I'll do it my way. I'll be king. We deserve justice. We deserve wrath. And yet God has loved us because we're not getting that if we've trusted him. There will be no regret for the person who throws their life in faith at Christ. Says, all I have is yours. I believe every word. I trust you completely. There will be not one ounce of regret on the last day because God has loved us. So if you struggle to believe that, look at the cross. Get the cross in your face and in your eyes and your heart as often as you can because I know there are days when we do, we wrestle to, to believe that. We, we struggle to answer that question. Does God love me? It's been a hard year. Does God love me? Things aren't going well at home. Does God love me? Kids are kind of out of whack. Does God love me? Stop looking for the world to define that. Stop looking for the world to answer that. See what God has said himself. The Father has sent the Son, and the Spirit is going to take that and apply that to your life in that God has loved us. And that truth motivates the next line, the phrase, if God has loved us, and He has, if we believe that, we also ought to love one another. It's just how the, how the cascade of God's love flows. I see God's love for me in Christ. I'm overwhelmed with it overwhelmed with him, and the love pours out. The love goes to you, to me. This is a way for us to diagnose even when we have a hard time loving other people, right? Because let's be honest, it's hard to be a human in this world. It's hard to have more than like two relationships with people that we actually love, right? It's just tough. 
You know, these people are about the favorite people of mine in the world, and, and it gets harder as it grows, right? How do we love people that we don't love? How do we, how do we love Christians that we don't want to love? Well, the remedy to that, if our hearts are hardened, if our hearts are closed off against others, if, if we're not doing well in, in understanding how to love one another, the remedy isn't for us to try and willpower more love up. It's to go to the cross and see God's love for us. God has loved us. We, we, our hearts grow cold in love towards others when we are not resting in and viewing the love of God for us in Christ often. Do you struggle to love other people? You need to get a bigger view of what God's love for you looks like in Christ. And all that means is coming to the cross, seeing Jesus' love there. That's how our love grows and increases. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But the, the question is, okay, well, how does that look? What does that, what does that come down to? How do we get on with loving one another? Well, John asks a curious question in verse 12. It's almost as if he takes a rabbit trail. He's not. He's going to connect it here. He says, no one has ever seen God. Okay, so is love back to this abstraction? Is it back to this just sort of uh, ideology? No one's ever seen God, and if no one's ever seen God, well, how do we know what love looks like? How do we know where it is? And yet, he says, no one has ever seen God, which is true. Our minds have not comprehended. There's not been one human being who has fully comprehended the full glory and beauty and love and excellence of God. No one's, no one's got the full picture on God and His glory. No one's seen God. And yet, if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, the text here doesn't use the word, the Spirit. But what is described here in verse 11, God doing, God abiding in us and His love being perfected in us, is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. When Christ ascended to heaven and on the day of Pentecost sent the Holy Spirit, He sent the Spirit to all who believe in Him, and the Spirit dwells or abides in us. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given, the Spirit indwelled believers and began to work within them. He works within us to perfect within us this reality of love. Here's how we love one another. God abides in us. The Spirit resides within us. He dwells within us, and He is working out to make us more loving in the world. His love is perfected, or the word perfected there could be translated made complete. Love comes to its final end and goal in us as the Holy Spirit works in us. The Spirit of God is the one who abides in us. He is sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. So the way I like to say it is this. The Father sends His love, and He sends His love in the person of the Spirit who embodies His love. And the Spirit takes the work of the embodied love of God in Jesus Christ, and He applies it. He, he brings it home to our hearts. Love is made manifest in us because God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. How does the Spirit perfect or bring God's love to completion in our lives? Well, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame. Our hope and trust in Christ, it will, not, it will not fall short. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings God's love home to our hearts. 
And the way that Paul describes it here in Romans is as, as if the Holy Spirit is just pouring himself more and more into overflowing. The way J.I. Packer puts it is a flood of love into our hearts. He's been given to us. The Spirit is resonant love within us. You don't have to have a subsequent experience to have the Holy Spirit abide in you. If you've trusted Christ and believed in Him, He has been given to you at the moment of your conversion. The Spirit is resident love. The action of God pouring His love into our hearts that Paul uses here describes as perfect tense. It's something that's complete. It has ongoing effects and realities in us. As the Spirit is given to us and overflows the love of God in us, He makes us more and more and more like Christ. Packer puts it this way. He says, The thought is that the knowledge of the love of God, having flooded our hearts, fills them now, just as a valley once flooded remains full of water. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He refreshes us again and again and again with the love of God. So what John here is saying back to 1 John is giving us the scope and the impact of God's love. If we have seen that love is from the Father, manifested in the Son, revealed in the Son, and applied to our hearts through the Spirit, then we can love one another. The Spirit's work is to glorify Christ. And so we look to Christ, and we see what He has done for us, and then we love one another. The Spirit applies God's love to us, and so it makes us, He makes us more and more like Christ. So we, as children of God, if we're following Christ and living out love, we're allowing one another and the world to tangibly see and experience who God is. No one has seen God. But if the Spirit of God resides within you, if He abides within you, and He does, and His love is being perfected in us, all of a sudden, other believers and the world start seeing this kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus has revealed and shown to us, sacrificial, pure, giving of Himself for us. The world sees God in our love for one another. The world looks on. And they see the love of the Father sending the Son. They see the love of the Son on the cross for us. They see the love of the Spirit making us more like Christ, bringing to our attention, to our hearts, His love. Here is love. Here is love. God is love. How you define this idea of love is so important. If we're told, if the command is here for us to love one another, We've got to know what that looks like. We've got to have tangible, practical ways to experience that. And that's why we must define love, not by ideology, not by philosophy, not by vague emotions or what, what our gut says. We have the purest definition of love, the clearest definition of love that we could hope for. It is God. God is love. Not an ideology, not a philosophy, not an abstraction, not even a notion. Love is a person. And so we need to look to Him all the more. We need to look to God. We need to see Him. We need to come to Him. We need to get our eyes full of God and His glory. So for that's how I'll conclude this message today. I'm not going to tell you to go do things other than to look See God. See His love for you in Christ. See His love for you in giving you the Spirit. See His love for you in growing you and more and more in Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your love for us, which has been revealed in Christ. It's being perfected in us through the Spirit. But Lord, we, we would ask that we would experience and know love more and more so that we could love one another as you have loved us. Help us in seeing your love for us to be people who live in light of that love in every way that we glorify you. Grow us in our love for you, your love that is so high and so deep and so wide and so broad that we can't even comprehend it, Lord. Help us to know you and to love you more and more because you have first loved us. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.